Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Mary Beth McCormick with the Center for Real Estate. Thank you so much for joining us today. I, I, I miss the days when we were doing these panels in person, um, but I'm also delighted at the opportunities afforded by um, our remote uh, webinars because we were able to put together a panel that would be much harder to put together in person, especially in February in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us. I'm going to jump right in. Today we're talking about prop tech with three experts in the field. You know, it's, it seems that every company really has to be a technology company these days. Real estate in particular is benefiting from prop tech in a way that that I'm not sure every industry is is able to, and we have, and so we have some some really experienced people to walk us through it. Um, and I want to thank Jared Selko, who just said yes, we're here. So I appreciate that, Jared. And that reminded me: any questions you have, please submit them through the Q and A, and we will um, we will try to get to as, as many as possible. So let me introduce our guest today. First, we have the man in the in the mask, Aaron Block, who is who literally wrote the book on prop tech, and here it is, Prop Tech One Hundred and One. Really fascinating read. Uh, when I'm hoping that we're able to put together a prop tech class at OSU, and this would definitely be required reading for that. Aaron is. Besides being an author, speaker, entrepreneur, and investor, he's a co-founder and managing partner of Metaprop, which is a New York-based venture capital firm focused on the prop tech industry. And so, Aaron, you, you see the big picture. I'm sure you see all different kinds of things to invest in and, and have a good sense of what works and what doesn't and why. Um, we also have Gary Devener, who is based in Columbus, Ohio now. And Gary is with Realpha, CEO and co-founder of Realpha Tech Corp, in, uh, based in Columbus now. Prior to this, Gary was the president and COO of Ameri 100 since its inception in 2000, November of 2013. And you took that company public, I believe. You scaled it from nothing from a startup to 50 million in revenue and you did an IPO which I've been through the IPO process you have my sympathies um, but it sounds like it worked really well because you were named entrepreneur of the year so sounds very successful and then we have Kyle Waldrop Kyle is based in Dallas Texas and he's founder and CEO of Dotted which is a uh, commercial real estate technology platform tied to brokers, landlords, tenants. So, so it's more transaction-based. And uh, this was a startup as well. Kyle is perhaps the youngest person on the panel today. And I'm eager to hear your take on what made you do this and, and how it's going. So let me start with each of you. If you could each talk a little bit about what you're doing and what you're seeing and you know how you got from where you began to where you are now. But Aaron, I'm going to start with you. And I, I realize that you're in a public place and you may not be able to take the mask off. But okay, maybe a little. I'm Could you? Yeah. Great. Tell us about yourself, but also what is prop tech? It's such a big amorphous term. When you use it, what do you mean by it? As soon as I figure it out, I'll let you know, Mary Beth. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. 
it's uh, not comforting. My background was in, <laughs> my background was in commercial real estate and then in technology. And so this third career is the intersection of the two, which many of us have been working in for quite a while, um, building success and helping kind of build this category over time. And the category we define is the intersection of real estate and technology. So anything that's affecting the built environment across the value chain, across asset types, and across geographies. And that can be something that's very familiar to folks, like you know, think about a listing system like uh, Zillow, or it can be something entirely uh, different, like a drone-based site surveying technology, or an energy monitoring and performance management technology at the asset level for a building. It's really exciting space because it's a $30 trillion industry, and there's more than 7,000 startups now attacking the old way of doing business. So it's a very exciting place to be, particularly for me, who has these two backgrounds combined, and now as a venture capitalist at this exciting intersection. Your universe, excuse me, your universe is just huge. It must be difficult to choose um, investments that make sense. Have you developed a sixth sense over time? Yeah, I defer to the smart people on our investment committee. That's the approach I take now. Um, it's really a group <laughs> effort. We see 200 new opportunities every single month. So what I tell people is we're the best in the world at saying no to prop tech startups who need funding, uh, which is an unfortunate, sad uh, reality, but also a really fortunate position to be in, to be able to have uh, so much crossing our plates. And really when it comes down to success, Mary Beth, in this world, it's about the team. We're early stage investors. We invest idea through series A particularly well for our first checks, which means we're backing people more than we are technologies or spaces. And uh, when it comes down to that, we've got a pretty keen sense for who's gonna be able to climb those mountains. We've got a couple of great founders here about who I think have great stories to tell and can share some of their experiences. They're illustrative of the difficulty. I'm sure it's not a straight path for anybody. Uh, uh, and I think that's the kind of resilience and excellence that we're searching for when looking for founders to back this early stage in the prop tech world. It sounds like tons of fun, actually. And <laughs> and it, I think it's true for any investment, you're betting on the people. You know, um, you can have a great idea and a mediocre team and it won't go anywhere, but a, a great team can really make gold out of straw sometimes. Gary, I'm going to turn to you. So you you know about these startups. Um, can you talk a little bit about Realpha? What it, it's a really interesting idea, I think. And you're muted. I'm sorry, Gary. You're muted. There yeah. you go. Uh, unlike Aaron or Kyle, I'm not from the real estate side, so you know. Disclaimer, I'm a techie. I'm a computer engineer by education. I've built tech companies in the past, uh, including the one I took to NASDAQ. Before that, I had built a thousand plus uh, you know, financial services tech before FinTech became popular. So now I've built that between Bay Area and Bangalore. So you know, I come from the tech space. So you know, everything that I am looking at uh, is through the tech lens. Uh, so the way I got involved in Realpha was very accidental, so it was not a planned thing. After I rang the bell on NASDAQ, I was wondering what is my next mountain to climb, uh, as Aaron was telling, you know, how do you climb the next mountain, right? So I was looking for it, and, you know, I was investing in some companies and so on. I moved to Columbus. One of my friends from Princeton called me. She was trying to buy an Airbnb property. And she had to put like 25% of a $400,000 home. She didn't have $100,000. She, 
She said, you know, can you solve this problem or give me 100,000? I said, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to figure out a solution for it and started digging it. I, I went with zero understanding and I realized that it's a $1.2 trillion market. Uh, Airbnb is operational in 220 countries. I said, man, this is big. And I looked at, you know, obviously we did a bunch of, you know, studies and all that good stuff. Realized that this is unbelievable opportunity. And, uh, you know, I had moved into Bridge Park. You know, you are in Columbus area, so you mm -hmm. know Dublin uh, Bridge Park. Uh, the guy who had built this was uh, Brent Crawford. I reached out to Brent. And then, you know, like, lo and behold, we created uh, Rialfa. So, so Rialfa invests in, have I got this straight? Do you invest in homes that are then listed on Airbnb or do you compete with Airbnb? No, we don't compete with Airbnb. Airbnb has become, you know, like a, a you know, $100 billion, $110 billion market cap company. Uh, we are working with them and, you know, putting the properties. Uh, we are democratizing how to invest in that. You know, not only we invest, how do you democratize the whole process uh, through technology? That's what Realfa is about. So it's crowdsourcing? Uh, crowdfunding. You know, mm -hmm. So we are on the Reg A, Regulation A offering as well. So you know, we are doing phenomenal stuff there. I, sometimes even I wonder where are we getting this traction? So you know, like it's a good problem. But uh, you know, Kyle and Aaron can tell that you know if you have too too much traction, also is a problem. Yeah. So so, you know, one of the issues with Airbnb is you own a home and that home needs to be maintained and cleaned after the guests leave. And how do you manage that? Yeah. So for the short term, you know, like we have partnered with some national partners, like, you know, we'll be announcing one big one, you know, in the coming days. So you know, we have partnered, we are not doing the maintenance part of it. We are a, a ownership kind of, you know, democratization platform for people to, you know, allow them to invest in those properties. That's what, you know, our goal, our goal is not to become a property. That's a different ball game. There are, you know, large players there already. So, you know, we are not in that. And do the investors own shares of specific properties or shares of, of specific properties? So, you know, there are two levels. You know, one is at the company level where investors own piece of all the uh, properties. And, you know, at individual property level, we are putting together a platform to invest at individual property level. Okay. And so your people, you, you have a team that finds properties to invest in? All through tech. Obviously, you know, once tech is done, you know, we use humans as well. <laughs> if you have to. Okay. Yeah. See, you know, like, again, you know, uh, one of the questions I keep getting is uh, what happened to Zillow and stuff like that, right? So we mm -hmm. use technology to eliminate the number of properties humans will have to evaluate. And then we have another app called Human, Human Intelligence. So artificial intelligence and human intelligence bringing together will help us pick the right kind of properties. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Kyle, I'm gonna to turn to you and you're muted. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, yeah. How did you come up with the idea for Dotted? Um, well, I probably don't qualify for the panel. I wasn't in commercial real estate or tech before any of this. Uh, so I- You, you I were in have, college, right? I was in college. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have met uh, Aaron's investment committee uh, standards by any means at the early stages of Dotted. But long story short, I was gonna be a broker in Dallas and lease downtown office space. And basically thought one day, 
as I was trying to figure out how Trello and Asana would frankly ultimately fit into my workflow and to my kind of work life, how I get it done, you know, et cetera. Why isn't there a Trello or Asana for commercial real estate? And um, that was the first question that is not the last question I can guarantee you that I've asked, but that was the first question. And that question was large enough for me to not take the job in brokerage and to go cash out the savings, move home. Uh, I haven't left home. I still live at home, which is great. Uh, and just hustle. And so many years down the road, we've now got a very quickly flourishing organization. Uh, yeah, I can, I can attest to the fact of when you grow a little bit fast, uh, things to figure out. Um, and in a lot of ways, we have built what I would term Asana for commercial leasing uh, and beyond, because we have a lot of aspirations to go build that beyond part. Um, as it pertains to uh, other parts of the space that we're, we're looking at. So that's some of the history. So for those who may not know what Asana is, sure. talk a little more. Yes. So Asana is a, what I would term business generic, industry generic workflow tool. So think Microsoft Teams, just think collaboration, getting people on the same kind of same platform, sharing documents or tasks or milestones or whatever. Uh, think of it as just a, a workflow location. Uh, if you look at a commercial leasing process, it's a multi-party, uh, typically multi-month uh, business transaction that requires a lot of engagement around data, a lot of engagement around documentation, a lot of engagement around people. And so Dotted enables all of those things to happen in one location, uh, not just for the brokerage team, but for literally the whole team on the asset side. And we have personas on our platform, anybody from project coordinators and architects to construction managers, to asset managers, to owners, to investors, up and down the stack. Uh, everybody gets a place to go, gets a place to see, and gets a place to understand what's happening, how it's moving, and why it's moving. And, and, and that's what we built. It worked out well so far. And how did you get funding for this? Uh, I knocked on doors. I put uh, booklets of... Uh, just like crazy materials and ideas under people's, um, I've literally put stuff in people's mailboxes. I've shown up at people's homes. I've gotten meetings. I took every meeting I possibly could for the first basically 18 months of the project. I think there was like 250 some odd meetings that I took. And those were not just investor meetings. Those were just connections to certain people that got me to other people. And then uh, our initial six investors uh, looked at me and said, hey, it's a decent idea. We don't know anything about it, but let's give it a shot. And so that first round was 850,000 uh, and we've now raised 15 million and uh, a lot more on the horizon. Ah, congratulations. Great. Um, Gary, how did you raise the money to get started? I mean, you had to build something so people could invest, right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, first, you know, we started with a hundred thousand dollar check and, you know, like Kyle, you know, I, I mean, uh, Kyle is, you know, first time entrepreneur versus, you know, uh, been around, you know, like uh, I met, you know, uh, Brent Crawford of Crawford Hoying here in Columbus. Uh, it took me literally 20 minutes to convince him. And then we did a $6 million round. And, you know, like then we decided to take a different path. Uh, you know, uh, one of the questions that you have is about capital stack. You know, when we come to that, you know, I will explain what all we are doing. There is so much capital available. So, uh, okay. 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 Great. Um, Aaron, um, let, let's come back to you for a minute. Um, what sorts of opportunities are you seeing now? And have they changed from where the world was maybe five years ago? 
Yeah, um, I would say things have only increased, Mary Beth, uh, since uh, we kind of kicked off this Metaprop journey uh, five or six years ago. Uh, there were 1,200 startups uh, going across this value chain that we spoke about before and different asset types and geographies, and now there's 7,000. You're starting to see multiple players going after similar types of problems, but in different ways. You're seeing technologies that are meant to enable practitioners, you know, folks who rent Airbnbs to do their jobs more effectively, for example. Uh, but you're also seeing new technologies that will entirely wipe out, you know, uh, human beings in the property management world if they end up taking off and gaining huge adoption. And that's really fun because you get to make moonshot bets, but also in our world, make those incremental bets that really can be billion dollar businesses just by automating workflows, you know, and giving people communications tools like Kyle's talking about. So, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening, but a lot of the exciting stuff to us, it's kind of back to basics, right? I mean, if you think about what's going on in our world, we're still trying to get access control in buildings down. We're still trying to get communication with our occupants of buildings, whether they be hotels or retail establishments or malls. Uh, or public spaces to office buildings down, right? These are really fundamental evolutionary changes in the real estate world that we have seen seven years ago in the equivalent of the worlds of financial services. So we've got a lot of catching up to do even before you start talking about blockchain and its impact on real estate, even before you start talking about tokenization, state and, uh, and the metaverse right there's all these sexy things these words that everybody's going around chasing you know we still have a long way to go just from the basics and it's a really exciting time because there's so much innovation so many new technologies and technologists coming out of not just the coasts but also you know i'm from the midwest from the middle of the country uh, in columbus um so so my students um we have such great students at ohio state by the way and i'm eager to introduce them all to you guys and they're listening to you talk about streamlining i'm sure and thinking well will will there still be jobs for us you know is um no no there won't no 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 okay no. <laughs> so yeah, what do you recommend well change, change majors now <laughs> okay the, eric thank you for your time reading. yeah bye everyone <laughs> I mean, what advice would you have for them? I mean, if, if you know, if, if you're doing away with property management, if you're doing, if blockchain, um, you know, I've heard that that could have an effect on um, title companies um, and other, you know, probably the whole, way more than that, I know. Um, but where are the opportunities for young people? Well, I'll, I'll give my two cents and the same okay. advice I give to my, you know, I was visiting a niece. Uh, the reason why I'm traveling today is I was visiting Anissa Tulane University, you know, and I give the same advice to, to all the folks who are studying business. Learn to write code. That's my best advice. If you want to future-proof yourself, if you want to be a part of the change and the impact, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you have some fundamental capability around software engineering, better understanding of object-oriented design, all of these things that are important foundations of software engineering, you're going to be in a much better position to be a part of the future, regardless of what that future looks like. Okay, great advice. Thank you. And um, to, you're leaving New Orleans a little bit too early. I hear there's going to be a party there next week. Have uh, <laughs> for you guys. Okay, great, great. Um, Gary, let, let's let's come back to you a minute and um, let's talk about the capital stack if you can. Um, 
to the extent you're able. Yeah. So, you know, like we, uh, say when I took my previous uh, venture to NASDAQ, we, we did it under four years. So, you know, like I, that was a record that we set to ourselves. This time I said, okay, can we you not know, do it faster? So we looked at, you know, like a variety of, you know, capital structure. You know, I could have gone to any private equity or, you know, VC firms, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, you know, I chose a slightly different path. So Realpha Asset Management Inc. So we have two entities. One is a tech corp and then a pure prop co kind of. So for the assets that we are buying, we are using a, a method called Regulation A offering. Mm -hmm. Under the Jobs Act, uh, Obama administration passed, you know, Jobs Act and, you know, like that made companies like us to raise up to $75 million over a year, right? So we launched that campaign, you know, in October of, uh, uh, mid of October uh, last year. Uh, I thought, you know, we will get maybe a thousand investors or something like that, right? I was not sure. Uh, in the last five, four and a half months, we have now 20,000 investors coming in from 72 countries. The network effects are just, I'm, I don't even know how to deal with that. So, you know, that's the scaling part, right? So we are getting, you know, including Mongolia, somebody invested and so on and so forth. It's just, I never thought that, you know, like whatever, we are a small company, right? I know I'm humble enough to accept that we are small, but somehow, you know, like uh, we did one uh, interesting video uh, we did a, a deep fake video of Elon Musk and, you know, like that went viral and some 1.2 million people from around the world watched and something else happened. I am unable to tell you what happened. Sometimes good things happen without you, you controlling it, right? So that happened and we are, you know, like today 20,000 and in the next two to three months, we think we, it'll go up to uh, 40,000 investors or maybe more in the pipeline. And that network effects that we are seeing is just dramatic. I, I can't even tell you. So that is one layer of uh, capital stack that we are raising at the company level. Then, you know, we have signed a $200 million uh, debt term sheet, you know, like once this completes, we will kick in with that. And that is from a, a top three private equity fund in the world. So, you know, they are backing us on that deal. Uh, and then, you know, we are also doing a series A while doing these two. Uh, in fact, you know, like uh, our team has reached out to Aaron's team out of the uh, 200 plus deals that he looks at on a monthly basis. Hey, you know, hopefully, you know, you will see mine now. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, we are raising, you know, we already have a, a you know, $23 million commitment and, you know, we are raising another 50 odd million. We have, you know, retained a banker to, you know, help us in that process. Uh, see, because this game, you know, as uh, Aaron was telling, this is so big, right? You know, like you need to have a lot of tech and a lot of capital because this can, mm -hmm. you know, like we can build a $10 billion company uh, that cannot happen without adequate amount of capital. So we are doing, you know, three layers of capital as we speak. And, and just through the crowdfunding, through the 20,000 people from all over the world, are you able to tell us how much you've raised through that? I am not, I mean, you know, see the SEC disclosures and stuff like okay. that. So I have to be okay. very cautious okay. about what I can tell as public information and non-public information. Uh, we are on our way ahead of time. That's all I can say. Okay. Um, let me ask you for, for my um, my students who haven't covered this yet, could you just quick briefly explain what um, what uh, Reg A means and, and uh, you know, who are those investors? 
yeah so reggae is you know colloquially called as mini ipo or you know those kind of terms that are used in that industry uh, this is you know a method where you allow unaccredited investors to you know come in at, into a company at an early stage otherwise you know like see uh, if you wanted to invest in a hard growth company you had to become a, either a high net worth angel investor or you have to be a vc firm etc right so mm -hmm. reggae democratizes that process wherein you know even with a little money you can you know get down the early stages of a company so uh, we set our you know minimum investment at $1000 so that you know like many people can participate right mm -hmm. so uh, we started marketing you know we were not sure how much traction we will get i think you know like we have hit some really good one 72 countries today and what is the choke point in your business what do you mean? I mean, what what um, is there something that you keep running up against uh, um, that you need? Is it capital? Is it is it finding properties? Is it um, people to execute? Is it is it staffing today? What, what's your biggest problem right now? Uh, people is the biggest challenge. You know, like Mark Anderson had made a statement a while back that one good programmer is equal to 30 average. And uh, while building Realpha, I have realized it is not even one to uh, 30, it is one to 100. And it is not in just software. It is in every other field. If you have a great person, that person can do you know, 30, 100 people's job. So in fact, I launched a podcast to you know, solve that problem. See, we, uh, yeah. most entrepreneurs and you know, like managers, we all have a bias. When an opportunity or a, a, a challenge is thrown at us, the first thing that we ask is, how do I solve this problem? Or how do I handle this? The moment we switch from how to who, problem you know, like goes away. So you know, I'm learning from everybody you know, how to switch from how to to who. And then that is the biggest challenge that we are facing. How do we get the best people in the world? Right now, you know, we have people working in, you know, Realfa related projects in 18 countries. So truly global. Hmm. Okay. okay, Kyle, coming back to you. So um, where do you see your company in five years? And you're muted, by the way. Am I muted? Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Yeah. Um, Mary Beth, a little difficult to answer. I think there's a, I think there's two divergent paths. I think there's one to one path that, um, to, to Aaron's point, there's 7,000 prop tech startups that are trying to canvas the world. I think there's a level of friction that that's created with kind of the old school way of thinking and the new school way of thinking. Um, Aaron's totally right on, you know, learn to code. That is the easiest, simplest, uh, best advice you can give anybody studying business right now, because that's tech and business will be the future of how people work. Um, and the old school way of thinking will ultimately get flushed out. And in prop tech, um, that's happening potentially a little slower than, uh, than other industries. Uh, I think that's probably fair. Um, so that obviously means a lot for us, because I think there's a lot of large players that look at our technology specifically and think our technology is uh, incredibly top tier, which it is. It's um, it's very advanced and uh, its scalability is very high. And so, um, sure, I think there's a lot of 
a lot of synergies with a lot of a lot of larger companies that would view us as a potential strategic acquisition to go say, hey, we're going to use Dotted as the forefront of part of our business for the next five years. Okay, great. That's a path. I think there's another path where we um, raise a ton of capital and we move as fast as humanly possible and we just take market share. And that's the path we're currently on. And someone's going to have to intersect that path for me to change and change course. But I think that it's very capital intensive. I think um, to Jerry's point, good people matter. Uh, we have tried to hire a lot of good people. Uh, I think uh, some of the folks that we have in our organization are doing uh, a lot of jobs and they are making things happen at a level that I didn't expect. I don't think you could expect until someone, obviously you work with someone you just don't know. Um, but what we're seeing, our choke point is moving quickly. Like it's just literally it's people and it's execution and it's timelines and it's code because we know what we need to build and we know what we need to deliver. It's literally, it's time. I've raced the clock every single day. Um, and that's a really fun problem to have because that means we're seeing good adoption. That means we're seeing good traction. That means that a lot of the other potential business problems that we could face uh, are not being faced. And thus we have really the opportunity of execution. I also think it's the challenge of execution as well. It's a both and. Um, and uh, so yeah, the business currently, we're gonna grow, we're gonna gain market share, we're gonna continue uh, innovating. And um, back to something Aaron early, said earlier, like I am not a huge believer in the blockchain and metaverse all right now. I'm a believer in it long-term, but you know, the next 12 months, we're just trying to get brokers to use a workflow platform. And if someone's gonna tell me that they're gonna come in and sell blockchain to the brokers, that's, you know, that's like nice, but I'm, I'm not exactly here for that currently, uh, just because knowing the process right now, it's, um, it's a little simpler uh, from how they do things currently and blockchain is a little more complicated. And so um, that's just where it is. Adoption is slower and you have, to, you have to build and iterate and execute to the rate the adoption moves, but you also have to progress and think and strategize at a much faster clip as well. Um, and there's a push pull there because uh, you don't want to get too far ahead of your personas, uh, but you also don't want to be stuck in the mindset of your persona. So why, why are you pressured to move so quickly? Is there somebody on your tail? Is there a competition uh, coming? No, we, so we have one competitor in the space and they're entrenched. They've been in the space forever. Um, mm -hmm. And we've uh, seen a very good percentage of our market share come directly as full switch offs from them. And so as that's happened, um, you can imagine that people in this industry talk, it's not a silent industry. So, uh, you know, one group reaches out to another. Oh, have you heard about this firm? Have you heard about this, this, that's this, fine. Um, so now the interest that we have is ginormous. It's grown even in the last four to six months. Um, our interest has, has quadrupled. Um, and that means that we still need to execute and we still need to provide a great service for obviously our initial customers. Uh, but we need to think about how we solve larger problems for the larger customers that are now approaching us. And so there's just a race there. So can you help me define, understand what ginormous means? How, how big do you think your market is? Oh, Aaron, do you know, do you know what the TAM on our market is? <laughs> um, I put as not many zeros as you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the TAMs, frankly- I can't really, count that high, Kyle. I know. The TAM on our market is really interesting. So we sell to office industrial and retail owners. Okay, so I'm sorry, what, what's TAM? Uh, total addressable market. Thank you. 
So if I look at the TAM across who owns office space, industrial space, and retail space, I mean, you're literally throwing in a vast majority of the commercial assets you would have in the country. And then that's mm -hmm. just obviously nationally. And then you look at globally, that's a whole different equation, which I don't begin to speak to. Um, but nationally, I think, you know, our, our TAM is really big and I, there's no great number on it. Um, yes, I could give you potential ARR figures. I could, I could give them to you, but it's just, it's hard to quantify because there's so many smaller and middle-sized market companies that own buildings like family offices, high net worth individuals, localized right. funds. I mean, it's just so difficult. I think you walk around, you see Oakbrookfield and Blackstone and Invesco and these kind of sexier investment managers and larger owners. Those are actually the vast minority of owners mm -hmm. across the country. Oh, yeah. the, the smaller majority is actually our target market, and we've seen incredible success there. Um, and now we're actually getting pulled into this larger institutional space um, where, yes, the contracts are bigger, but the expectations are a little higher. And so um, just trying to figure out how you get in there, what you do and where you execute is, is important. So um, where do you think you'll be in five years? And at what point will you be comfortable moving out of your parents' basement? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's, yeah, at some point I'm gonna get my own place. Uh, I gotta talk to our investors, see if I can get a salary that can afford my own place. But no, I, I kid. Um, yeah, I think we will be around and growing and uh, be in a lot more uh, parts of, of kind of our process. So if I look at the owners that we sell into, their business is buying and selling properties. So buy, lease up, hold, stabilize, and sell. That's typically their business over different mm -hmm. hold periods, different kinds of funds. Uh, I think we'll be in a lot, yeah, a lot more areas of their business uh, than we are today. Um, our, our kind of vision statement on the wall has the word beyond at the end, and that beyond is ambiguous on purpose uh, mm -hmm. because we get to continually define that. And so um, I think we're growing, and then hopefully I'll move out of my parents' place, hopefully by the end of this year. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they love having you there. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to go to a couple of questions from some of our students. Um, one is, uh, why has the real estate industry been slower to adopt technology? Are there inherently aspects of the industry that are better suited for introduction of new technologies? And I guess, is, is, that, is, is that assumption true? Has the real estate industry been slower to adopt technology? I mean, here I he is rolling his eyes. Yeah. So, you know, I come from the tech world. So, you know, like I think, you know, I can try and answer that. See, you know, if you look at, you know, financial services and, you know, that area or, you know, even pharma or, uh, I mean, if you can do robotic surgery, why shouldn't the contract be signed, you know, with a wet uh, signature? Uh, real estate industry is like 15 to 20 years behind in technology. Uh, today, you know, I signed one document which was supposed to be manually signed, right? So, you know, like uh, Aaron was right, you know, like people are adopting at such a low pace that it's, I, I don't know why that is the case. Uh, maybe, you know, Kyle and Aaron can answer that part, but I can confidently tell that, you know, real estate needs another 10, 15, maybe 20 years of technology upgrade to come to, you know, today's terms, forget the metaverse. Oh. Why is it just we we like what we do and and so I have some you yeah. know we, we write a little bit about that in, in the book mm -hmm. right and we mm -hmm. we talk to folks about their perspectives you know I think part of it is it's a hyper regulated and hyper localized industry 
right? As Kyle was pointing out, the, the long tail of the folks in this industry is the vast majority of, of the player base, right? A lot of folks, for example, just think about rental housing. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's the enormous, more than half of the rental homes, in spite of what's been going on with Blackstone and everyone else buying up rental homes, is still, you know, kind of mom and pop folks who own less than 10 units and are kind of managing on the side, we call them do-it-yourself landlords, right? So you mm -hmm. think about all those folks to get adoption and to scale adoption across, just think about that particular corner of the industry is a huge hurdle. And then you think about all the aspects that are involved in real estate across that value chain, you know, in ideating, design, construction, leasing, right, management, refinancing, I mean, everything across from dirt to disposition. There's so much difference between the trades and between the skill sets used that, you know, we're talking about boiling the ocean, really, when we talk about prop tech, right, as, as, mm -hmm. as a category, you really have to drill down, you have to, you have to you, you almost have to taxonomize the space into smaller chunks and then start to ask the question why. Um, but one thing that's been pretty universal and that's slowly starting to change in no small part because of, of the work of, of great entrepreneurs that we have here and, and other investors in our space is, you know, the, the problem has been old, rich, white men. Old, rich, white men. So Those have the, been the problem, folks. okay. The problem has been folks who are kind of fat cats who have never had to use technology who have been printing money in this space for a long long time the generational changes are happening now in the space which is really important the the expectation that what you can do on your mobile phone you can do in the office right on your mobile phone not just at home so, so the expectations of the entire employee base of these enterprises in the real estate space are changing. And, you know, with ESG expectations starting to bubble up and, and health and safety expectations starting to bubble up, you're starting to see technology beginning to be the first response as some of this older generation moves along. So, so if, if, you know, Gary's estimate that we are 15 to 20 years behind the rest of the world, and, um, you know, if, if, if we can catch up, say in 10 years, we'll still be 10 years behind the rest of the world. So wh what, does, what does the world look like when real estate is, is caught up to, if you will, the other sectors that people invest in? Uh, uh, no, I can tell you the first couple of them. Yeah. First is, you know, you will stop wiring and, you know, use, you know, latest, you know, payment methods, right? Can you believe, you know, like if you have to do an earnest money deposit, you have to, you know, like either cut a check or cashier's check or, you know, wire the money. Mm -hmm. The day when it goes away, I can say that, okay, now, you know, we are right. So, you know, like literally I have looked at in the last uh, year and a half or so every aspect of the transactions that are happening in a buying process literally everywhere technologies can come you know it need not be our own technology you know like we are looking at uh, a bunch of uh, technologies you know that are out there every step is at least a few years behind cumulatively you know so so, okay, so money will move faster. So rents will get paid faster. Um, vendors will get paid faster. Um, what else? Will there be, um, will we be more profitable as an industry? Is there potential to enhance profits? Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, right from, you know, property, land to, you know, building to renting to every step of the way, technology can help, right? For example, I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, Aaron and his team will be looking at 3D printing and, you know, those kind of new age technologies, right? Uh, and see, you know, like energy efficiency in the, you know, commercial real estate space. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like every, you know, building is just glass. What if, you know, all of this glass becomes solar cells, right? So uh -huh. literally any area that you touch, we can bring in new technology and then, you know, it increases the revenue and reduces the cost. Very bad. Very bad. Yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. Efficiency should rise all boats. I mean, that's like what should happen. Right. And it's, I think part of the challenge is some technologies don't present a great why to the current customer. And that's, I think that's where it becomes difficult is, you know, if the customer who needs, it needs a better why in real estate than in other industries, because it's so far behind, you have to present the why correctly. <laughs> but if you can, that efficiency actually should rise everybody. I mean, to Jerry's point, he's spot on. Um, so. so. So how do you convince people? I mean, people who see no need, the, the uh, old, rich, white guys who have been doing it this way forever, how do you convince them that there's a need? Um, it would have to be, I'm guessing, through the pocketbook? Typically uh, so monetarily. Think, yeah. So, you know, like, I think, you know, uh, people will eventually adapt. You know, like, uh, when, you know, iPhone came, uh, people thought, you know, you are using BlackBerry. Why do you need iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody is stuck with old technology, they will perish like dinosaurs. So, you know, it's a matter of time. You know, it's, I think, you know, time has come. Okay. Hey, Beth, it's about people. Again, you will not be able to recruit, retain, uh, build vendor relationships, contractor relationships with anyone if you are not in the game. That's what's going to change, right? The expectation is changing. If you look at the Gen Z folks, Right. If you look at your students, no one's going to go work at a place where, you know, they're using, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's a good example, a DOS fax based, machine. you know, say it's fax machine. Right. No one would yeah. ever take that job. Right. Yeah. And we're starting to see the expectation levels really rise for for the folks coming into the job markets. And those are the folks we need to think about and, and their next generation recruiting and retaining that talent. So funnily, it comes right back to the people thing. Always. So has the great resignation, um, as they call it, has that um, increased the speed of adoption? Or do you think it will? I've um, seen more. I've seen, I, I personally, I've seen it more be, be kind of COVID-oriented and coming out of COVID in June, July, August 2020. Um, I think the, the reset of expectations and the fears uh, about functional obsolescence and tenant communication and health and safety made made a real switch, a mind switch uh, in yeah. the eyes of the, the you know, old white old white rich guys. You know uh, that that technology needs to be the first answer as opposed to something way down on the priority list that doesn't get enough attention. Aaron, are there certain sectors that you're more interested in than others, or where are you seeing the greatest opportunity right now? I love construction tech and I love medical office technologies. Those are two of the ones that I like the most right now. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the innovations in construction tech? 
Yeah. So everything that you do in construction is under assault, right? From design and planning all the way through the actual 3D scans of what's actually being constructed, all the way through to the to the actual robots that are now overseeing what's happening and sometimes moving materials. It goes to the supply chain background of, of the construction space. It goes to the banking, financing, lending for the construction space. All of these are requiring new technologies and we're starting to see a lot of attraction from not just the construction companies, but the trades beneath them and the owners, managers, and financiers above them. So it's really fun place to see a lot of action. Yeah, is that offsetting some of the huge increases in construction costs that we're seeing? Absolutely not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not, no, no, no. Will no. it? I mean, I spend a lot of time with a lot of owners and developers, and uh, I don't think anything's going to supersede the lumber issue um, uh, that we've been pain, painfully experiencing in the short run. But over time, it certainly will, right? We're talking, we're, we're playing, our fund lives are, are, you know, 10 to 12 years each. So, you know, each investment we make, we're, we're really betting out into the future. So you got you to step back a little bit, play almost like a, uh, you know, the People's Republic of China game here and play for the next generation if you want to see the real needle moving across the board. But in some of these, you're starting to see real traction. Some of these great tech startups are really over the last several months gaining customers, gaining tons of revenue, right? And in spite of what's been happening in the public markets, you're seeing PropTech uh, still, these private companies in particular, doing really well. And that's on the back of real growth, not just the equivalent of cap rate you know, compression that's mm -hmm. we've seen in the tax space over mm -hmm. the last several years that's now deflated a bit. These are, this is this is real growth. This is this is meaningful change in the industry. And it's going to be a fun couple of years here as these companies, these next, uh, you know, these next uh, construction tech companies or else uh, in prop tech start to start to go public and de back and, and continue to have the M &A, uh, successes that we've seen over the last couple of years. So if uh, is a fund life of 10 years really long enough, though, because you spend the first couple of years um, find, finding investments and then um, you invest, but then you almost immediately need to start thinking about an exit strategy, right? And yet these are startups. So uh, what's your average hold period? We'll hold for, for seven or so years in the early stage funds, you know, maybe a little less in other stage investing activities. So you know, the reality is investors expect return, you know, cash on cash returns at some point, right? right? Um, so yeah, I would love to run 20, 25 year funds and, and, and really make the long-term bets that we need to make. Most investors don't have appetite for that. You know, some family offices and others uh, might, might be more uh, concerned. Be considerate about that, but no, in general, most folks want the money back at some point uh, with a nice with a nice return. Yeah, well, yeah, they're funny that way. <laughs> it, it does invest. It does affect your IRR yeah, too. Darn the investors. Years is, yeah. yeah, I know. And they're I always know. getting in the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, I'll, I'll go for another question from one of our students. Um, what are the next advancements that are going to really shake things up? Um, Geary. So, again, you know, like, uh, again, I'm going to quote Mark Anderson of Anderson Horowitz. He said uh, a couple of years back that software will eat everything. Uh, software is the way if somebody is not involved in the tech, 
they will be extinct. It's just a matter of some more time. So uh, when, you know, like software comes into every aspect of every business, you know, it's no longer going to be, you know, like, oh, this uh, business will be, you know, away from uh, uh, software. The, that's a mistaken assessment. So software will be the key driver of every industry, right? So as more and more industries adapt slowly, like real estate or, you know, like fast, like financial services and so on. So, you know, between those two extremes, I think, you know, like uh, there will be uh, a churn of companies that's going to happen. Even Fortune com 500 companies will be destroyed if they don't adapt. See, we have seen in our own lifetime, right? You know, companies like BlackBerry itself, even though they were in tech itself, they got disrupted by another tech. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that, you will see probably out of the Fortune 500 companies in the next 20 years, you will not see most of them. Whoever is not in the technology driver position, if they are just a technology supporter, they'll be gone. Uh, you know, that that's that that's so interesting. And I think that that's as, as you point out with BlackBerry, that's how things have worked. If 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 you can't get with the program, if you can't keep up, then somebody will pass you. Yeah. Um, other than coding, um, learn, to, learn how to code. I, I got that clearly. Um, what advice do you have for our students today? And where do you see opportunities for young people coming in? So uh, from real yeah. perspective, I can tell you that, you know, like we, when we wrote our culture and, you know, values, et cetera, we spent a lot of time on that because, you know, you should be able to, as Aaron was telling, be able to attract the next generation of people. A lot of your folks are here in Columbus. So, you know, you guys come over and, you know, we'll have a cup of coffee or maybe a beer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about, you know, like uh, moving away from the how part to the who and expertise in each of the areas, right? So, you know, that's what, you know, will make companies successful, I hope. Uh, that's what, you know, like uh, we are striving to attract the brightest and the best people from around the world. It's not going to be any more uh, local. Uh, one thing that we learned during COVID is, you know, like we can, you know, get people from 18 countries to work on our projects, right? So those are the kind of things that will advance. So, you know, your students will have to, uh, be open and learn from anywhere in the world. Yeah, that that's um, I. It seems that that's um, that that's a blessing and a curse that uh, your competitive set is anywhere in the world because you know. Also, I see people from New York or or London coming to Columbus, where the cost of living is lower, and they can get you know the same. They can get good talent, and maybe pay them a little less. So I guess it, it evens out, but um, do, do students really have to be very tech savvy to work with, with your company, Gary or, or, or Kyle? Um, or can you teach them what they need to know? Assuming they have learned how to code. I got that. So we look for people and we, our average age of our companies uh, just mid to upper twenties. So we've got a lot of young people. Uh, okay. That has been incredible for us because we look for people, yes, um, that are technology proficient. Uh, obviously, a deeper background, the better. Great. But also people that just want to come in and like work hard and see a bunch of stuff. I mean, our people are given the rope to go 
work on a lot of different areas of our business. Uh, a lot of people cross pollinate and a lot of people uh, can be working on product design and how do we think about product design, how that relates to customer traction. And then we can also look at how product design relates to ultimately marketing the product. So you have to be able to shift the brain and be able to learn different tools and uh, different ways of thinking all within the potentially week at Dotted. And that's been really great. And that's not just from a lack of people. I and mean, we've got 30 some odd people, um, but those people still maybe in a certain team or in a certain line of the business, but they're still cross-pollinating because that's what the business actually requires of them. Dotted requires you to think more about certain topics uh, than maybe, you know, you just went to school for, for learning one thing. Well, that's fine. You to do 10 things about it. And so the, the willingness and the desire to be able to jump into that is a huge thing we look for in the hiring process. If you're just fixated on, I want to do finance, or I just want to code, or I just, you know, that's not going to be as attractive to us because the cross-pollination is so key to building a great team that's bought in to the ultimate vision. So basically you're looking for Renaissance people with, with you know, passionate curiosity about a huge variety of things. Sure, I'll, I'll give you just one quick example. One of our early employees um, who's now uh, leading all of our product delivery, she did not come in with a product delivery background. Like that's not what she went to, to school for. She hadn't taken classes on it. We engaged her. She wanted to come and see a bunch of stuff, try a bunch of stuff, do a bunch of stuff. And she's knocking out of the park. When I say she's like the background of a product delivery person, I mean, Probably not. She probably didn't wake up five years ago thinking, oh, I'm going to do it in five years. But what she came in is she came in, she studied, she got to work, she learned, she listened. She had the humility to, to allow her to move forward. And then she is just blown it out of the water. That's the kind of person we look for. Well, and when she was in school, probably perhaps dotted didn't even exist. Exactly. You got it. Right. So, so it's, if people are planning for a certain job, um, that may not exist when they graduate or, or a job that's the perfect fit for them may not be around. Uh, I would say get that internship, get that internship, try different things, take more risk when the stakes are lower while you're in school, right? Take a summer and work for a startup, take a summer and work for a bigger company, understand the differences between them, right? Start to look abroad. Uh, international prop tech development is a huge trend that we're seeing. It's something to keep an eye on, right? As, as, as localized as the space is, it's starting to become a smaller world step-by-step. Step. So I would encourage folks to just taste, try, play, right? Stick your, stick your toe in the water, get out there a yeah. little bit and, and start building, you know, your, your, your base of experiences and your network and relationships, because at the end of the day, it's still real estate, right? It's still a relationship oriented business and probably will be for a long, long time. Great advice. Well, great advice. So in case of Realpha, you know, you asked, you know, like uh, what kind of people we are hiring. Uh, uh, in fact, I interviewed two people from OSU yesterday. So, you know, like it's uh, an ongoing journey. I hope uh, you hire them both. Yeah, no, we are hiring <laughs> both. Both are really good kids, you know, like, uh, Initially, we thought we'll bring them as just interns in summer, but you know, like we are giving them a part-time job now, you know, like they are great. that good, right? Good, good. So we are hiring, I mean, Realpha, we consider ourselves as number one tech company. We are a finance company. We are a marketing company. And then real estate is the asset class, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like all four stacks we are hiring. Mm -hmm. Great. 
Great. Um, I hope my students on the line took note of that. A um, couple questions from, um, uh, from David Hartsook. Nice to hear from you, David. David's um, a, a local broker with CBRE. Um, and he says, in my experience, uh, CBRE uh, struggles staying up with the speed of technology. How do you see small or guerrilla-sized companies dealing with software applied to real estate? I mean, is CBRE just too big to care? I'm, I'm so, not to offend any of, of the CBR people, but is there a so point where you don't I, I, need I think it? I, can t I, I can take this pretty well. Um, okay. CBRE, JLL, and Cushman Wakefield are all investors in several funds of ours. So okay. I have been, I, I spent the beginning of uh, 10 years of my career at Cushman Wakefield. So I've, I've got a pretty good perspective on this. Um, you know, listen, you can't expect large organizations to always lead from an innovation and technology perspective, right? You don't work at CBRE because it's the most tech forward organization you could have joined. You work at CBRE because as you put in your question, it's the global leader in real estate services. And that's something to be very proud of. And that's quite a platform. You happen to be very fortunate, David, you're one of the most forward thinking organizations in the category, right? CBRE is inventing a lot of technology itself in-house. It is acquiring technologies and it's investing in folks who invest in technologies, in some cases investing uh, itself in technologies. That's a pretty cool place to be. You've got a very strong, savvy m &A team there. And, and, and your peers, some of them don't have that, frankly. So I think it's a really interesting case study to, for you to be, to be poking around within CBRE, figuring out the various different ways that an organization of that size and scale is leveraging not just its human capital, but its balance sheet capital to provide more innovation. And yeah, most of it's going to be incremental, right? Again, big company, change is going to be a little bit slower, but I'd say you're, you're in a very fortunate position to be one of the most forward-thinking organizations in the category. Terrific. Terrific. And on that note, we are out of time. Um, let me just circle back to each of you, though, briefly. Um, any final advice for for me or for my students as, as we enter this brave new world. I'm, one of, I'm one of the old gray hairs. Come to New come, York. Come, come to New York, come, come check out uh, one of the major hubs. You know, it's not very far and you have friends on the ground uh, who are happy to host you uh, when you come for a visit. Uh, that's, one, that's one tip and piece of advice I'd also like to suggest. It's a... I'm, I'm always delighted to get an invitation to New York. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> And on that, I think I lost him. Um, Kyle, Gary, any last words? Sure, mine's quick. Um, I would say listen, learn, and be humble and get to work. I mean, that's okay. what we've tried to instill in our employees. And I think that's the attitude we bring to work every day is listen and learn to our customers and listen and learn to our people, listen and learn to our investors and bring humility with us. That's it. Ah, humility, great, thank you. Gary? All right. Hey, we are just 20 minutes away from you guys. So you know, just drive down to Dublin uh, <laughs> and come for a cup of coffee or lunch or whatever. Uh, who knows? You know, we might hire you. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you all for your time today. This is just so much fun. So fascinating. Thank, Thank you. you.